Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. You don't have to be limited by networks when it comes to choosing your healthcare provider. There's actually another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a member, you'll have a biblical, affordable way to pay your medical needs where you're free to choose from the doctors, the treatments, the hospitals that are best for you and your family when and where you need them. After care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help pay those bills. Members also have access to an online community of support and health resources to help keep medical and prescription costs low through discounts and fair pricing. Healthcare freedom can be yours today. Visit SamaritanMinistries.org to learn how. Again, see how you can have healthcare freedom today by going to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Perhaps the most important doctrine that we hold as Christians is the doctrine of the Trinity. Unfortunately, it's probably also one of the most confusing doctrines in all of Christianity. And I think most people are apt or inclined just to take the confusion of it and go, I don't really get it, but I'm just going to go along with it. Which I think in a lot of cases, as long as we can understand that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all worthy of worship, and for most part, it's not really going to trip us up if we can't perfectly explain the Trinity. The problem really comes in that almost every other belief system on planet Earth outside of Christianity attacks the Trinity as the difference between our belief system and theirs. So if you meet someone who's a Jehovah's Witness and you start talking about the power of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, they'll nod right along with you. But what they'll deny is the Trinity. They will deny that Jesus was God. They think he was certainly important, the archangel Michael. He was a really important figure, but he wasn't God himself. So they reject the idea of the Trinity. And this is really in every belief system. This is Mormonism as well. This is in other pagan belief systems. It's a rejection of the Trinity. And so the importance that we have as Christians to make sure we understand this, I think goes so far beyond just being able to mark it right on a Scantron if someone gave us a trivia about who God is. It, it goes way beyond that. I think it improves our worship when we understand the character of God better. I think it improves our prayer life. I think it improves our understanding. I love how the theologian Jen Wilkin once said, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. I've always loved that as one of the most important reasons I think it's good to study theology and it's good to study the character of God because you just can't love what your mind doesn't know. And the more that we know about God, the more we can love them. It's very similar to being in a marriage. On your first day of marriage, and you look at your bride in the eye, and you look at her, and you say your I do's, and the unfortunate truth is that that will be the day of your life where you love her the least, because it's the day that you've known her the least. And every day you grow in love, and you don't grow in love because your affections get stronger, or because there's a day where your emotions are more heightened than your wedding day, or because... 17 years later, your bride is going to look as beautiful as she did on her wedding day. The reason that we grow in love is because we know more. There's more to love. There's more to understand. There's more idiosyncrasies to cherish. There's more. I tell you, like after losing my wife last year, a lot of those things are, are some of the most haunting truths of singleness is the power of someone knowing you so thoroughly and loving you in spite of all your messed upness. This is why someone that we don't know on the street who shouts across the road when they're drunk, love you, man, we never feel like there's any kind of power in that because they don't really know us. The, the power of our spouse loving us, the power of God loving us is they know 
almost everything in accordance with our spouse. And in God, he knows absolutely everything and loves us anyway. Not just in spite of those things, not shooing those things away, all the weird or bad or whatever things about us, but he loves those things. He loves even the idiosyncrasies of who we are. He even loves the weird quirks that make us who we are. And and oftentimes we find that in our spouses as well. So we take on a very similar endeavor. If we are to love God with our all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when it comes to mental exercise, we can't just tap out. We want to dive in and understand what this means. So here's some simple ideas of the doctrine of the Trinity, maybe somewhere where we get it wrong, and maybe some cases where analogies don't help us. So here's the simple doctrine of the Trinity. It goes like this. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are distinct persons. Number two, each person is fully God. And number three, there is only one God. So I think what a lot of people trip up, like if you talk to someone who's a Jehovah's Witness, they'll say, well, this is silly. This is not what the Old Testament talks about when it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like this is the core verse in the Old Testament that in the midst of all the pagan nations that have their polytheistic views and they worship the sun god Ra and Baal and Asherah and all these other fertility gods and everything, God stands alone. Hear, O Israel, listen up, Israel, the true God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in scripture, we see a very clear truth that there is only one God. So that's the core of our belief, that there is only one God. Yet, we find in Scripture this three-personness to the one-beingness. So there is one God in being, there's one God in essence, right? So when we talk about God, there is only one God. There's only one being which nothing else is greater than. It is the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, God is distinct in having three different persons in the Trinity, I think we make a mistake sometimes when we talk about the Trinity. Like when I was growing up in Sunday school, teacher would bring in like a block of ice and then would put some water in a pan and then would show you water in a cup and say, this is what the Trinity is like. The Trinity is like ice, sometimes solid, sometimes liquid, sometimes gas. The God of the universe is sometimes Father, sometimes Son, and sometimes Holy Spirit, depending on what is needed. While this seems awesome for utility, right? God just becomes whatever is needed shapeshifter, if you will. This is contrary to the biblical understanding of the Trinity. At all times, for all time, since the beginning, without being created, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always eternally coexisted. There's never been a moment where the Son was on earth where there wasn't also the Father and the Spirit. There was never a moment where the Spirit was doing something in the New Testament that the Father and Son weren't. There was never a moment where the Father says, let there be light, and the Son and the Spirit weren't present. They have always been there. Even back to creation, when God is speaking, he speaks. It says, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. This Godhead three in one creates the heavens and the earth. But then it says, the very next verse says, the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, and then God speaks, and he speaks out this word. And the New Testament's going to tell us that the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's the Word? Jesus. What was Jesus? God. Simple. We understand that while there is only one being of God, when we sing a song and we say, 
God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Now, you can absolutely think in your mind about the the power of the creating Father and the sending Father. You can think about the accomplishing Son as God, 100%. You can joy and you can bask in the delight of the applying Spirit. What do I mean by those things? A simple way to understand the function of the three persons, they don't all share the same functions. That's not true. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross for your sins. God the Father didn't die on the cross for your sins. Jesus doesn't live inside of you. God the Father doesn't live inside of you. The Spirit does. God the Father wills when when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not praying to himself. He is praying to the Father. They have unique and distinct roles. They are of equal value, all worthy of worship, and all infinitely great. But they are different. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being three distinct persons. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. Not a lot of analogies do justice to this, and there's not really one that's going to work super well because the Trinity is absolutely incomprehensible in its nature because we don't have any example of anything on planet Earth that is also three and one. Right? The analogy of, well, what about me? I'm a father, I was a husband, and I'm a pastor, but I'm still Chris. Doesn't work because I play those roles differently. Now, I might have all those roles simultaneously, but I'm not three distinct persons. I don't become a different person when I'm dad or become a different person when I'm husband. I'm always the same person. The, the Trinity has three distinct persons. Jesus Christ, in his glory, has scars in his hands, sitting at the right hand of the Father with a physical body. God the Father never has a physical body. The Spirit of God never has a physical body. They are distinct, they don't all do the same things. Here's the easy way to understand it in terms of their roles. The Father wills, or the the Father is the one who sends. The Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation. The Father wills our salvation. He plans it and and, and sends, sends forth the execution. Jesus accomplishes it by his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And the Spirit then applies it to our lives. And while they all are equal in power, they are distinct in function. And we can worship them for their uniqueness. I would say for most of us, we don't have a ton of issue with worshiping God the Father as creator. We don't have a ton of issue for a lot of us worshiping the Son as the accomplisher, as the one who became man. I think sometimes we do, we, we balk a little bit when it comes to the Spirit, because what is the Spirit? I, I think the majority of people that I talk to, if they really get down to the nitty-gritty of it to try to explain the Holy Spirit, they rarely explain the Holy Spirit as a person. They often use it as, often use the Spirit as a force or some kind of like metaphysical feeling, but it, that's not the case, or a Jiminy Cricket conscience in our mind, but that's that's not the case. The, the Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit isn't just a force, it's a person. Now, when I say person, I don't mean a human person. When we use the word person for each other, we mean that that, that, that being has the power to think. That person has a, a conscience. That person has will and desires and feelings and reasons and is able to speak or at least communicate in some way. That's what we mean by something as personhood. The Holy Spirit has personhood. Holy Spirit isn't just a force. So here's what we see in Scripture. 
the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7, we see that the Holy Spirit is speaking. In Acts 15, we see that the Holy Spirit is thinking, reasoning, that the Holy Spirit can understand. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit has a desire. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11, the Holy Spirit, he is, he feels, he gives personal fellowship, he indwells with people. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. We see in the book of Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes, that the Holy Spirit, when we pray the prayers of our broken mind and of our corrupt conscience, the Holy Spirit actually takes those prayers and translates them and takes our wandering thoughts and mistaken ideas and works as intercessor for us in our prayer life. And these are all distinct roles, but they're all worthy of worship. And here's something that we see in Scripture, too, that people always trip up on. They think that somehow the Father is greater than the Son or the Son is greater than the Spirit, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are listed in order of importance, and that's just not the case. The Father is willing to send out the role of Jesus to accomplish his task, and then Jesus submits to the Father, but not out of, it's not a surrender of being less than, it's a surrender of deep, unyielding love. That's a really important idea. Because we see the same word in Scripture that is used for women being the helpmate of man as the Holy Spirit being the helpmate of God. What does that mean? It means that we are submissive to one another in marriage. We are submissive to one another in reverence for one another. And why? Because the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son are in an infinitely long, since before the beginning of time, they're in a dance of perfect submission to one another. And it's a beautiful dance. And they don't submit to one another because one is greater than or, or wields more power or is stronger. They yield to one another in perfect submission because they love one another. God didn't make mankind because he was lonely. He was perfectly fulfilled with the love that he had from the, the Son and the Spirit. And the Spirit was perfectly fulfilled with the love that he had from the Father and the Son. And the Son was perfectly fulfilled by the Father and the Spirit's love. There was no lack because they were perfect. If you just had the Son, you would have an infinitely perfect, infinitely powerful being. If you just had the Spirit, you would have an infinitely perfect, infinitely powerful being. And if you just had the Father, you would have an infinitely perfect, infinitely powerful being. I love how Wayne Grudem, who writes a book called Systematic Theology, puts it. He said, when we speak of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, we are not speaking of any greater being than when we speak of the Father alone, the Son alone, or the Spirit alone. The difference comes in their perfect, submissive, tri-unity. That's where we get that word trinity from. Tri meaning three and unity. They are three, but they are one. We see this play out a few times in Scripture. For instance, in the Garden of Eden, when God, the Godhead, looks down at the earth, the Father says, let us make man in our image. But this seems to contradict the very core of the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet, when the one speaks, he says, let us make man in our image. The Bible doesn't seem to have any issue with this one Yahweh God being three, each of them with distinct roles, with distinct functions, all worthy of worship. We see all three parts of the Godhead receiving worship in Scripture. We see other people in Scripture receiving worship, like angels at one point. And you know what the angel says? Do not worship me. Worship God alone. We see Jesus receive worship. We see a 
a woman pour out a, a jar of oil at his feet and worship him. We see demons cry out and call him the Holy One of God. We see people bending knee and, and calling him God when Jesus reveals himself to Peter after he's resurrected. Peter says, my Lord and my God, and Jesus never corrects him. Jesus never stops and says, whoa, 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 that is not an honor due to me. Likewise, when we see people in scripture worship angels, the angels always say, do not do that. Only worship God. The Holy Spirit possesses the nature of deity. He shares the attributes of God. He is omniscient, knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's eternal. These are all the characteristics of all parts of the Godhead. The only time we see any part of the Godhead limiting themselves was a purposeful, intentional limiting that Jesus went through when he was a man. Jesus, it says, he grew in learning and understanding. Philippians 2 said, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. But we also know that any moment, Jesus could take back up his deity. So in that case, all of his godness was always at his disposal, even when he chose to limit it. So the Spirit should not be thought of as simply a, a force, but as a person. A person, the third part of the Trinity, that is worthy of worship. Philippians chapter 3, verse, t- verse 3 tells us that we worship by the Spirit of God in glory and glory in Christ Jesus. So not only do we worship through the Spirit, that's what the book of John says when Jesus is confronting the Samaritan woman by the well. He says, there will come a day where we don't worship on this mountain or that mountain, but true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So not only do we need the Spirit to worship, the Spirit is worthy of our worship for what the Spirit does. You see, the Father wills the Son to complete the task of salvation. The Son, in perfect submission to the Father, accomplishes the will of the Father, and then the Spirit takes that salvation and puts it into our hearts and applies it to our lives and allows us to live resurrection life. And in doing so, they perfectly submit and obey one another. And since they are sinless, there isn't this notion that we sometimes impose on the Godhead that the Holy Spirit would get jealous because the Father wills, or the, the Son is somehow has animosity towards the Father because he's the one who had to die, or that the Father somehow is more powerful because he's just the one who speaks and the rest have to do. That's not the case at all. We are reading in our broken, sinful hearts. Whenever someone gets a job promotion, our first question is always, what does that mean for me? Or whenever someone new comes into a company, we always want to know, where do they fall on the pecking order? And oftentimes, as long as we feel like we're getting compensated fairly and we haven't lost any power, prestige, or preference, we're okay with them coming in. But that's because we are sinful, and we are broken, and we are petty, and we are not perfect like the Father is, like the Son is, and like the Spirit is. So they perfectly submit to each other at all times. Maybe an oversimplified way of seeing it, but a way that I tried to explain it to my son the other day is if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided for a second that they were all going to take on flesh, only the Son in the Bible takes on flesh. The Spirit and the Father have no physical body. Okay, so this is contra-Mormonism, where Mormonism said that the Father has a body of flesh and blood, not unlike ours, that he physically knows Mary and consummates that. Physically, we don't believe that whatsoever. We believe that the Father does not have form or body, but is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, just like the Spirit, but that Jesus put on flesh. That's what we mean by the word incarnation, the word carne asada, meat. God put on meat. That's what incarnation means. 
But if the father and the son chose to put on meat as well, and they stood in a row, and they were standing in front of you with their backs towards you, and you said, God, they would all turn around and look at you and go, yes. And you said, okay, turn back around. And you said, perfect in all of your ways. They would all turn around and go, yes. And if they turned back around and you said, died on the cross, the middle one would turn and go, me. And if they turned back around and you said, lives in my heart and guides me in in righteousness, the Holy Spirit would turn around and they would turn back around. And if you said, Father, the Father would turn around. They are distinct. But at the end, if you said, okay, God, turn around, they would all three turn around. So they are God. They are three in one, and yet they are distinct in personhood, but of one essence. They are all God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one God. Each part of the Trinity is fully God, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. It's not meant to be something, as Martin Luther says, that you understand one time and then it's cemented for the rest of your life. The doctrine of the Trinity is meant to be like a stone in your hand flipped over time and time again as you feel every side of it and you, you feel its smoothness and you sometimes you're going to need to scrub away some of the roughness of the idea in your head, but you don't need to let it go just because it's confusing. You don't need to let it go just because you found a passage of scripture where Jesus prays to the Father and in our limited understanding we go, well, that doesn't make any sense because why would Jesus pray to himself if he is God? Yes, he is God in the sense of he is part of the Trinity, but he is not the same as the Father. They are distinct persons. So the Father has a will that the Son prays to. The Spirit comforts Jesus. The book of John chapter 2 says the Spirit lived inside of Jesus as a spirit without limits to him. So they're intimately acquainted and they do all things together, but the Spirit didn't die on the cross. The Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. They are one being, three persons, each distinct, all fully God. Now, if you ever feel someone coming and attacking any one of those ideas or any one of those principles, this is the doctrine of Orthodox Christianity. This is the doctrine of the Trinity in Orthodox Christianity. When we say that the Spirit isn't actually God or that Jesus wasn't at what was born, he wasn't eternal, then you're taking away his godhood and you're actually rejecting Orthodox Christianity and the idea of the Trinity. It is true that the idea of the Trinity does not appear in Scripture. We hear that all the time. Well, the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, so how do we know that it's true? Well, it's a way of explaining the truths of Scripture in a succinct way. What we do see is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all receiving worship. That the Father sends the Son, the Son obeys, He is perfect in all of His ways. We see them demonstrating the attributes of godliness, namely omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, omnibenevolence. And if all these characteristics are true, we can safely say that while God is one, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, our God is also three persons. Let us make man in our image. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What is Yahweh? He was holy, holy, holy. Some theologians believe that even the triplicate there of holiness, while showing power, also demonstrates the unity, the triunity of God. So, we have really good reason to believe that the Trinity is the best explanation and the best way of describing the attributes and the reality of what the Bible talks about when it talks about the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Hey guys, as always, hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. Wanted to let you know that the Dad Tired Q&A mixtape book is now available for pre-order. If you go to Amazon, you can search Dad Tired mixtape, pre-order your copy now. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.